Hey there, I'm Vicki Howell. Welcome to the Craftish Podcast. This is episode number 26. This episode is brought to you by our friends over at Makers Mercantile. Makers Mercantile is a space for fueling your creativity, inspiring you to make using any medium you feel passionate about. Their online shop carries supplies for sewing, weaving, knitting, crochet, dyeing, and more, plus curated gifts, books, craft storage, and apparel. You can find them at makersmercantile.com. This week, I had a great conversation with Portland-based artist and Studio Me owner, Megan Ekman. I first came across her company's embroidery kits during a visit to the physical Makers Mercantile shop, which is in Kent, Washington. Now, I love me a thematic craft, so her Seattle Space Needle and Mount Rainier kits were really the perfect projects to make while I visited friends in the area. Months later, and completely coincidentally, Megan reached out to me about this podcast. I love her work, so I was thrilled to have her on. And during our chat, we covered a lot of territory, including the culture shock from moving from North Dakota to Silicon Valley, art school elitism, how she was able to create a full-time career for herself that also allows her to be true to her art, and how even though she owns a craft-based business, she considers herself to be a terrible crafter. I truly enjoy talking with her, and I'm so happy to introduce her to you now. Megan Ekman, thank you so much for being on Craftish. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited. I am really excited to talk to you, too. I've actually made um, a couple of your kits, and I want to talk about that in a second. But first, I wanted to talk a little bit about your beginnings, your career beginnings, and actually your parents. You told your parents that you were going to get a degree in creative writing and art, which you did. And I kind of loved what they said to you, what their response was. They told you that before you graduated, you needed to start a business, um, you know, that had to do with your art and craft to prove that you were serious about making a living from from that um, as work. And I just thought that was so brilliant and such a supportive way um, to get started. So if we could take that and also talk about how you did start a business in in 2009, and then you spent the next sort of maybe six-ish years hustling to go from it being sort of a side gig to your full-time gig. So I wondered if you could talk about the parallels with that, of those two things, and just a little bit, share a little bit about that hustle. Yeah, so... I was lucky enough to have parents who fully supported me. Um, My mother was a business major, so her concern was simply, can you make money from it? And to kind of prove to her that I was taking this seriously, I did have to start a business. It was a stipulation to get these degrees and to get some of my college money from them. So my senior year, I started Studio Me, and I was selling prints of my artwork at the time. It started pretty slow. Um, I had one illustration gig with a professor. They had a book published. And almost immediately after our graduation, I moved with my now husband to Silicon Valley so he could get his master's degree in photography. So we moved from North Dakota to Silicon Valley in 2009. That sounds like a huge culture shock. shock. Oh, we had no idea. Not to mention weather. Weather weather was amazing. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, it was like living in Groundhog's Day. Every day was the same. Yeah. Um, But 
the rent was what really caught us off guard, just the expense of living. And that was even before it's where it is now. Um, we were paying double, if not triple, what we were in North Dakota for our tiny little apartment. And I immediately had to get a side job. Yeah. There was no way I could make enough to feed us. And, um, you know, my husband wasn't bringing in anything as a grad student. Wait, so, so in, I, but in North Dakota, you were able to bring in I enough was, money through your art already at that point. Correct. Yeah. It, it wasn't much. Rent was really cheap. Right. Um, but you supported two people. Um, I mean, yes. Well, he Comparing the rents, I know, yep. is crazy. But what, what were you doing at that point before, before this was truly a viable option? How were you making your so money? I had uh, on Etsy, uh, it's really embarrassing. I had like, buttons, uh, really cheap digital prints of my work, cards. I had a few shows there, so things were selling. And then I had the illustration book deal with one of my professors, and that was enough to get me through the last few months there. Before that, I was still kind of in the dorms and everything, so the, the rent wasn't as big of an issue as we kind of just moved from, you know, apartment dorms to Silicon Valley. And oh my goodness. Terrifying. I, I cried for the first few weeks, just trying so hard to find anything. Like nobody would take me with, you know, these degrees and we needed money so badly. So I ended up getting a part-time job at Borders Bookstore. And I learned so much from them. I learned how not to run a business. Right, I was going to say, because <laughs> you're still standing and they unfortunately are not. I was there when they went under. I was only with them for eight months. And when they declared bankruptcy, I was the only employee that was literally dancing out the door <laughs> at the end. Everybody else was so terribly depressed. I was like, yes! <laughs> um, it it really showed me how not to run a business, how not to treat your customers, um, how to give creativity much more reign in your business. They were not well branded at all. They simply reacted to anything Barnes and Noble did. So I learned a lot about ethics from them. Mm -hmm. And when they closed, it was at that point that I realized I am not designed to work for other people. I had stopped dreaming. I had stopped making any art for fun during, I mean, I was, that was making me enough money that I, you know, kind of put the art on the side because the hours were so atrocious and I had to go through the holiday season with them. And it's, I never want to go through that again. It was a nightmare. <laughs> Retail at holiday time. I have to say, well, yes, I have a story for that too, but I have to say I've never heard anybody describe it so eloquently uh, about how you feel when you're working in a space that you're that's not aligned with who you are who you who you really are at the core yeah. by just saying I had stopped dreaming I think that's huge that's a it huge re uh, re revelation it, yeah because I I'm an avid I'm a lucid dreamer I'm an avid dreamer and it just stopped I checked the only thing I did in my dreams was I checked people out at the till all night long. So you're you're not even speaking <laughs> figuratively. You literally stopped dreaming. I literally stopped dreaming. 
Um, and my partner, my husband said, Your you know, subconscious like, you just have, went like, shut down. Yeah. My partner said, you know, you have, we have to get you out of this. Yeah. It's not mentally good for you. So when they closed, um, I threw myself back at my art and it was, um, still just, it was like fighting tooth and nail to get people to buy things. I had a, uh, a lot more shows out there to do craft fairs. But it honestly is actually quite hard for shops. Um, I had wholesale accounts to to sell artwork. Uh, just the the task of putting it somewhere where people can see it is actually quite difficult for shops. Um, they normally just throw it in a bin. Yeah. Um, and it got to the point where I was only making art that I felt would sell, and. That was also a warning sign I really should have taken. So I did that for about two years. I mean, that's the conundrum, though, that every working artist, crafter, artisan goes through. (laughs) And that's also the balancing act, because the the reality is, is that you do have to do some of that. Yes. So that that you can do the other stuff that matters to you. Um, Yeah. I, side story really quickly, and then I want to go back to this. I also worked in retail during the holidays when I was probably, I don't know, 1920. Only I worked in fragrance. Oh, no. Working in men's fragrance. Yes. Which, and this was in the 90s, so I don't know if they still do that, but that's what teenagers, all the teenagers would buy their boyfriend's mm-hmm. fragrance. That that killed holidays for me. It took me like, it took me years to get the holiday spirit back. And for me to not smell like, like cologne and perfume yes, and not just I like. Just you have a nose and you like. Say a, like bug every time. But anyway, so it's, it's so funny. I bet you that there's all kinds of like, I want to do the like true Hollywood stories of like Christmas workers. <laughs> so awful and nobody understands yeah unless you've done it <laughs> it's miserable um okay so back back to what we should be talking about so you <laughs> so you decided that didn't feel right to you so you wanted to take a break you felt like you were no longer creating what was true for you but but what would but only what would sell yeah so at the time in order because it was silicon valley rent i was working for uh, several business coaches as a va I'd met a few. They kind of just hired me. I always told people when they ask, how'd you get that gig? You know, it's like, as a virtual assistant. Yeah. Virtual assistant. And I said, it's amazing how much people will pay you to answer their emails or to do their scheduling. And that, um, you know, allowed me to kind of take some time to not absolutely panic about what I was going to make that would sell, you know, because every time I'd put something new out and it didn't sell, it was, I would get mad at my customers. Like, <laughs> you wanted this, and now I made it, and you didn't buy it. You know? Oh, because um, you were you were responding to yes, potential customer like, requests, yeah. not not people that are placing like uh, that are commissioning you for something Correct. in particular. Okay. Yep. So one night, I just I was totally burned out. I'm like, I just I don't even know what I want to do anymore. So I found. Um, as an artist, you just have weird stuff laying around. So I had um, fabric and I had thread. And I just kind of remembered when I was little that uh, whenever it was raining, my grandma would always make us sit and embroider pillowcases and tea towels with her. So I just thought, you know what? I haven't done this forever. I hated it as a kid. <laughs> Let's just try it. So I took one of my illustrations that I just finished and I actually, it was really easy for me. It was a pen and ink drawing. And I just turned it into a black embroidery. 
And I just stitched it up quickly, just intuitively. I wasn't really thinking. It was penciled on, barely. And I took a photo of it, put it on Facebook, and went to bed. And I felt a little bit better. And then the next morning, I checked Facebook, and it had kind of exploded overnight. Mm. This drawing that nobody had wanted the day before. Interesting. All, all these people suddenly asked, you know, where do I get this? How can I How can I make one? Can you send me the pattern? I, You know, I really like it. And my first reaction was to get mad. Like, you didn't want this the day before as my artwork, but now you want it as what I saw at the time as an art student, we always had this dilemma of craft versus art. And I was like, but you want this, you know? Um, and so I was desperate enough at the time. I just said, okay, um, I'll figure out how to make it for you. And so I figured out quite quickly how to turn a few of my designs into looking back at the really bad embroidery kits. <laughs> what was it? What was the image at that point? The image was, um, I'm big into puns, so it was a big white cat. I knew, I knew we were going to be friends. I could tell it right away. <laughs> Lay it on me. It's a big white cat laying on its back in what looks like an ocean, and it's called Meow Be Dick. Oh, my goodness. Can you send it to me? <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. I, I thought it was hysterical. You know what's funny is, um, to go back to your point about, um, you know, putting things in stores and, and um, you know, it being a real problem that you never know where your merchandise is going to go, like it just gets thrown. This is a total sidebar, but um, there's a new podcast on through NPR called, it's called How I Built This, I think. And yeah. the very first one was... One of the best interviews, like entrepreneurial interviews I'd ever heard, and it was with a woman who founded Spanx. And she said that at the very um, beginning, her name is Sarah Blakely, at the very beginning, she was going into stores herself, and her stuff started in high-end stores. Like, it was in, like, oh, I think, like, Neiman Marcus. Like she, her, her first gigs were big gigs. So she'd go into the stores with, like, um, you know, like, file folders, you know, like, or, you know, like those stands that you put on a desk to put files yeah. in. She would go in and she would set them near the cash register and move her product there. And because <laughs> it was such a big business, nobody questioned it. They just assumed that somebody yep. higher up had approved it. And I was like high-fiving her virtually when she said yep. that because that is the kind of gusto that artists of any form and I believe being an entrepreneur is another kind of type of artistry. Mm-hmm. It really, like, really is needs to have need to have to make their you know themselves successful, whatever that definition is of you. Um, so, anyways, just a little side sidebar on that. So, no, um, yeah, I I really like that. My mom always taught me <laughs> they can only say no. So, I other people cringe when I tell them what I've done, but. I send out emails to people you wouldn't believe because I'm, I agree with my mother. All they can do is say no. Or ignore I mean, you, which is worse. <laughs> <laughs> but at least you tried. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, especially with artists and crafters, the fear of rejection is yeah. 
is real, you know, because you're putting your you're putting your whole heart and soul out there. And so, and not everybody's going to like your meow be dick thing. But okay. you know what? They don't deserve to like it then because <laughs> yeah. it's amazing. No, but I mean the thing is is that what I had to learn, you know, and my business is a little bit different because a lot of it has to is like personality based, but what I had to learn is that I had to separate me or the brand or the craft or whatever it is from myself enough exactly. that I could sell it as a product and then let it be reject as a product. And that's really hard when your name is it, you know, yeah. but it's, but it's a huge like life skill if you're in business for yourself. It is. And so that was kind of what I was able to do over the next year. I kind of, it wasn't stupid, but I was selling both. I sold artwork and I sold embroidery at the same time. And I would take them to fairs and see what did best. And hands down, the embroidery, that could sell itself. I didn't even need to be in the booth, and they would just rip it off the walls. Was there a huge price point difference? Was that it? Or did you have prints that were sort of the equivalent in price? The prints were the equivalent in price. Interesting. I know. So I bought it for about a year. I really didn't want to lose the artwork side, but... What I came to realize was um, one of the business coaches I worked for gave the advice to somebody else. I finally listened to it and is, why don't you just go with what's easy? Oh, that's so tough. It should just come easy. Yeah. And I realized (laughs) the embroidery is just easy. Like it just sells itself. And that's what everybody wants. And so what I had to do was um, at the beginning of 2015, I separated the business Um, So essentially, the studio me then only sold embroidery things, and my artwork was able to not become a source of income. Simply, it got to go back to the point where I got to make it into a portfolio again, and then all of this year, I've been making work for a show that I would like to have next year. So it's still like the main passion in my life, but it is not dependent I'm not dependent on it for income. And that is what I'm allowed to be more attached to personally and emotionally than the business. Right. So at least for a short period, you said to, you sort of said to yourself, I'll do the craft for them. So then I can in turn do the art for me. Exactly. I love that, by the way, I love that when, um, when you sold the, you know, the kit, but didn't sell the drawing, how your immediate reaction wasn't, yes, I've broke, I've broken the code. It was, it was like, screw you, customer, you have terrible taste. Well, so when you go to art school, unfortunately, they, yeah, let's talk about this. Let's talk about this. Because this is, this is not only um, a very frequent topic um, on this podcast, but also, uh, I asked every single person in uh, that I interviewed for a book that I did several years ago, um, actually right around the time that you started your business, called Craftcore, and that was art versus craft. What are the difference between <laughs> the two of those things to you? What do you believe are the difference between art and craft? It has changed for me over time. Um, there is... There is one explanation and belief that you are given in art school, and it has taken me a very long time to change that belief. 
Uh, growing up in the Midwest, craft was definitely different than what it is now. Um, so to me now, art and craft are the same. It is the intention of the maker, whether it is whether it is a hobby and something that they love to do on the side, but that does not need to be in a gallery or the highest exemplum of their work. And it's not a good way to say this. <laughs> it's tough. It's really tough. And the, and the answers are extraordinarily different depending on who you ask. You know, I've gotten, I've gotten tons of different answers. I've, you know, I got a really succinct one the other day and I, it would be super helpful if I remembered who said it at this point, but I do not. Um, that said, well, art, when it's art, it's never finished. And when it's craft, it's finite. And I thought, okay, that's relatively yeah. clear. I don't know if I agree with it, but I, but that's clear. Um, there was another, uh, well, the co-director of this movie, of this documentary called Yarn, he he thought, he's he lives over in Iceland and he grew up on sheep farms and and um, so we were talking about yarn in general. And for him, he thinks that art is anything that you take outside, that you show people. So mm. we, were, we were talking about how often crochet, this movie has a lot of crochet and knitting in it, obviously. And he was talking about how this per one particular artist they were featuring took just plain like mandalas or doilies. Like there was nothing sort of quote unquote artful about them per se, but mm -hmm. she took them out and nailed them to walls and suddenly they were installation art. Yep. And so I thought there was something, I mean, there are a lot of artists that that then could say, because I choose not to show it to anyone, does it, th does it then make it not art? Which no, the answer is no. It's a very, it's, the, it's a <laughs> sticky question. But I did think there was something there. Yeah, I agree. I think one is also for use and one is for show um there is though in both there is good and there is bad or there is high and there is low i mean mm -hmm. i grew up in the midwest with macaroni art was a was a thing you know like that was that was craft um <laughs> i mean i think we all have some macaroni art in our past <laughs> regardless of where we grew up yeah this is like you know when you're 80 and you're still doing it but um <laughs> uh, you may have a point yeah um, we just, where I grew up, we were not exposed to many artists at all. So it was really hard for me to, in art school, you know, to see craft as something equal to art. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and that was why it was so hard for me when I started adding the embroidery. It was yeah. this thing that I am the You best felt like you were slumming it. Exactly. The thing yeah. that I'm the best at is not what people buy. And instead, it's this, to me, it was like lowbrow art where I'm, you know, like yeah. on the computer making hedgehogs with party hats, you know, and like, but I can also do this, but you don't want it. <laughs> but, you know, that sort of like low crafty self-esteem <laughs> is precisely the reason that I do this podcast. Yes. Because I believe that creativity is really sort of like that, the, the the genesis that we should focus yep. on and not how it's expressed. So whether you pick up a guitar or you pick up a crochet hook, you're still expressing yourself. You're still you're putting something positive out into the world. And so I'm hoping that through interviewing 
people like yourselves and and then you know radio DJs and musicians and and knitwear designers that there can be sort of like a leveled playing field to show that really the common bond is the creativity aspect of it. Yeah, I went to um, Craftcation last year, and oh, how I was, was that? It was awesome. I'm actually going to be on a panel for it next year. Oh, I would love to go to that. That's amazing. It's fun, and I felt like an imposter while going there. Um, I generally frame myself as I am the gym teacher. So the those who can't do teach, I am the those who can't craft well make kits. Yeah, because I honestly did. My grandma gave up teaching me embroidery. We didn't even make it to French knots. Um, <laughs> she got really tired of pulling out my knots. Um, in I your defense, not- though, French knots are not the easiest stitch in the world. <laughs> <laughs> that was like the fourth one she tried to teach me. <laughs> it's like, too hard. Um, I mean, you've, but, said, you know, you've said that in other interviews, um, you've said that you're terrible at crafting, but you I but can't. you really shine as a as a crafting enabler. I, yeah. So like I can design it and coming from a person who I really have trouble with crafts, I can design it in, in a way that is approachable mm-hmm. because so many people, I have master embroiderers who come to my booths and the looks they give me are just really deplorable. Um, and they have elevated this craft and it, and it, it needs to be, I mean, the things you can do with embroidery are just draw dropping, but in order to bring in a new crowd, you can't just show them what a master embroiderer can do. You need to be a loving and a comfortable environment. And so I try to always make mine, like I'm an enabler and I want to make it so anybody can start anywhere. But I was at Caucasian with all these people who you know, it's like the MacGyvers everywhere. You give them pom-poms and some, <laughs> some duct tape and they can make anything for you. And I was like, I don't know what to do here. <laughs> My roommates even played a drinking game with like, what's the craziest crafting thing you've ever done? And I really lost that game quite quickly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting though, that you gravitated towards craft, even though it's not necessarily your, in your, within your comfort zone. Yeah. Um, it just has some drawbacks in that, um, I have a fake studio, um, in my studio when people want to know where I work, uh, <laughs> I don't have as I have a painting, you know, I have a drawing studio, but I don't have, uh, an embroidery studio. So we have faked one. Um, there's a little corner of a room that looks like somebody works there, but nobody does. So who's making uh, all of your samples? Your I do some of it. I have taught my husband and I also have some uh, very loyal customers and fans who um, I pay them how they would like to be paid, sometimes monetarily, sometimes in product. Yeah. And they stitch them up for me. And they do a much better job than I could. I mean, they're beautiful. Your Thank Studio you. Me site is, it looks gorgeous. What's the second M for? Or the first M? Oh, so it is my initials. Okay. I got in trouble as a kid for having the first and last initials of me. Because when you had to sign your work, it was with your initials. Oh, and so hilarious. I was, yeah, because I was like, who signed me? And I was like, I did. 
So um, I decided to make use of the. So you just added. A, so you just added an M. Uh, for my oh, middle name. You do actually have an M as your middle name. Yep. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. It's not the best business name, but. Um, no, I just thought it was Studio M because I've only read it. I hadn't heard it said until oh, yeah. you said it. I never know how to say it. <laughs> no, I'm going to say it that way. I'm glad I. I'm glad I asked. Um, so you talked a little bit about being a a crafting enabler, and then also on your website, you say something. Um, you say, "I love fusing." You're, now, this is for a commission. I should move over from this. Is not Studio Me. This is your um, art illustration and painting business. You say, "I love fusing your ideas with my creative style because I make your grand ideas visible." And to me, it sounds like those two those two things that you've said right there, being an, an, an enabler of creativity and making others' grand ideas visible, really come together. They really make sense. You're, you're like a conduit for creativity. Do you see yourself that way? Yeah, it was always um, it was always kind of my goal when I started. I realized that so many people don't think themselves creative. My, my mother always said that she was sleeping when God gave out talents. <laughs> because she can't. That's rough. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't. She can, she can do your, your, uh, your checkbooks really well. But that's about I it. mean, that's uh, a talent. It is a talent. Um, I didn't get that one. I'm not going to kid you. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I have an overactive imagination. I can entertain myself for hours anywhere. Um, and I began to realize as I left school that so many people don't think that they are creative and artists or in any way talented. And it was really quite sad because I believe that we live in this incredibly magical world if you just know where to look. And I wanted a way to let people play again because if you don't go to art school and you just you know go through college and get a normal degree there's not play involved like there is in the art department and so you kind of quit playing at right age 15 and you know nowadays with the, the boom in you look at all the crafting businesses or the adult coloring books you really see the effects that being creative and playing and letting yourself do stupid things. Um, and the need for that, the license yeah. to be able to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And that was what I really wanted to help people do because there are so many amazing things that we could have invented if we just let people play more. Yeah. And don't you think that perhaps a lot of people think that they aren't creative or they don't know how to do things because they've been told that? Exactly. So my husband and I have this debate all the time. He's a photographer and he's grumpy because everyone thinks that they're a photographer now. Oh, right now. Absolutely. There's an yeah. app for that, didn't he hear? <laughs> <laughs> See, there, there's nothing that says your pictures are bad. Right. But as a drawing and painting major, nobody else goes, ooh, I can draw. Like, 
it's not this phenomena that everybody's right, drawing. Right. Whenever I go somewhere and sit and draw, everybody's like, oh my goodness, you're drawing. You must be an artist. Like, well, you could sit here and doodle with me too. Right. And so they see your husband, at, regardless of the fact that he's got a much more expensive camera, they see them and they're like, oh, you have a blog? <laughs> or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> or what's oh, your Instagram you shoot, account? You shoot yeah. kids? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, bless his heart. I know. So it's interesting that there are some things that people just instantly shut down. They don't think they can do it at yeah. all. Yeah, interesting. Uh, but coloring books, I mean, that's like an opening. But if you just gave people a blank page in those same colors. Yeah, that's terrifying. Yeah, yeah and that was that was kind of like the next thing that I was trying to figure out how to do. But it's such a hurdle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really is. Uh, just give it, I think I was speaking with, um, maybe there's another, actually, she's also in, in Washington. I forget where she lives, maybe Portland also. Um, Anna Joyce, I interviewed her a while back for this podcast, and she talked a little bit about just sort of giving her students permission to fail. Um, oh, when she was, you know, and I think, I think that's a huge thing. I try to do that, you know, just with, with my knitting and crochet students when, you know, they get a little like bummed out at something and I'm just like, call it a design feature. Nobody's going to know, yep. you know, that kind of thing. And you can just almost see their shoulders like relax a little bit. There's such a like a stress of doing something wrong when by definition with art, there is no right and wrong. Yeah, my roommate used to say in college, she could tell where I was in a drawing by the words that were coming out of my mouth. <laughs> Whether they were like rated R or rated G? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, because everything starts out good. And you're like, this is the best yeah. I've ever done. Oh my gosh, I'm amazing. I love this. And then you reach a point um, where you have to fight a war. And it gets really, 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 really ugly. Mm -hmm. And then every time something happens and you come up with a solution. And it's not what you intended to do in the end, but it was so much better than it probably would have been. And some of them you do stop halfway in the middle of the war and just chuck it and start over again. But um, I think um, almost every project you have to feel horribly at sometime during it. I agree. And I'm honestly the same for me, the same goes with any anything that matters. I mean, writing books, doesn't matter if you're writing a novel or you're writing a craft book, there is a certain point in time and I have interviewed authors, I am one myself, many times that that you think what the hell have I yeah. done? I am you not qualified enough. Or I am not good enough. I can't do this. Every single, I've written 12 yep. like craft books, no, every time. Every and time. I've spoken to novelists. I've spoken to, you know, nonfiction writers. Every single time they think, what was the publisher thinking? Yep. You and will I never think, write again. I think that <laughs> I've never, like it's all over now. <laughs> I better start like, start the first steps of putting our house on the market because yep. we're not going to be able to afford it. <laughs> you know, and I, but I think that with anything, but that, that feeling is associated with you caring Yes. And you caring is an investment of the soul, you know? And so, at, which is, you know, obviously the very, like, where creativity comes from. Mm -hmm. So if you can just sort of write it out. <laughs> and look, if you're writing it out, like, with a slew of curse words, hey, that's just the wave <laughs> you're taking that day. Like, it's just what it is, you know? But it's exciting to see what, what the result is. 
Yeah, it's amazing some of the ideas you come up with in that moment or when you walk away and it can completely change a piece. Uh, I had one where I had an illustration and it was um, two girls on a floor in front of this big ornate painting of a deer and I had them wrapped in a blanket and I didn't know, I left this space because I didn't know what type of shoes I wanted them to wear. And so I was taking a walk, trying to figure out, um, you know, like what period do I want, what kind of shoes. And I suddenly had the idea that for where they were positioned in front of the painting, it would work perfectly to put the deer's feet on them. And it completely changed the whole painting. You know, everything was different. Um, and if I hadn't left that spot, and if I hadn't let myself just walk away and kind of grumble about what I was going to do in this tiny spot that I left myself... Um, it, it would have come out entirely boring instead of something quite magical. Right. We talked a little bit earlier about your, your hustle for your business. And I want to talk a little bit about, um, your current business on Studio Me, where you are, it seems consistently, reinventing as any entrepreneur has to do and refurbishing. Um, and the, your latest thing is the super stitchers club. And I wanted to know, I, I would love you to talk a little bit about it, both for, you know, people that are interested in joining, but also from a business owner's perspective of why you decided to go that route with your business. Yeah. So it's actually been quite exciting. Um, I knew I wanted something else in my line. Last year, I added two products that flopped so miserably. It was terribly embarrassing. Um, and so I knew from that experience that I I couldn't outright ask my customers what they wanted. I had to just kind of feel around for what they wanted. <laughs> right. Um, because the other products were what they had asked for, and it didn't work. So what I realized is that my top customers looking at their Instagram feeds were always making things. Um, they like, so you were, you were checking out your customers, Instagram fees feeds. Yes. Brilliant. That sounds rather no, sneaky. That's <laughs> brilliant. No, I hope other business owners are listening to that. I mean, because it's a window, it's a direct window into the people who already dig you. Yeah. And I am not even more so than other people. I am not my customer. I mean, in my free time, I'm, I'm not embroidering. Right. <laughs> I'm probably taking a nap. Um, so I looked at what they were doing. They're always making. They're kind of like people who love yarn. You guys are a bit addicted to it. You know, you're always... I have friends who just have backpacks full of yarn, and they take it everywhere they yeah. go. Um, subway and everything. Um, I mean, what else are you going to do while you're sitting there, though? You've got to keep your hands busy. <laughs> yeah. It just so makes I, sense, frankly, Megan. It does. I know. So you saw I, an opportunity there. I did. So what I realized was buying the kits wasn't enough. I already had fabric available to them, but that wasn't enough. And I had done a club before, but I only sold PDF patterns, and it was a nightmare to run. Um, just, I, I wasn't organized enough. I didn't have it ready in time. And I 
had been playing with the idea of the club again, but I really wanted to make it much better this time for me and for the customers. So I worked on it for about two months trying to figure out the best way to do this. And so what I came up with is that um, it is like a fruit of the month club, which when I was little, I thought that was the sign that you were a successful adult was you had a membership to the fruit of the month club. <laughs> I didn't even know those existed. Yeah. But that was, that was back was in the like day where, <laughs> where fruit was seasonal before, you know, cause exactly. I like when, when you couldn't get apples unless it was fall, it's different yeah. now. Arguably so I because grew up in of North Dakota, where you know there wasn't really any good fruit. So uh, okay, that makes sense. So good fruit. That so there's a package from Florida coming to you with oranges, and you're like, yes, okay, it's I got a it. door. I, I mean, okay, I got it. <laughs> I thought that meant you'd made it as an adult. Yeah. So, um, so what I so I designed the club around that, and so each month the club members get this little package and it has their name on it and everything. And it says, you know, your patterns inside and they get uh, the fabric and the thread that goes with it. And that's the, that's it in terms of the embroidery content, because these people you're, you've got all the hoops you could want. You've got all the needles you could want. You probably have thread too, but a lot of people really wanted specific color palettes. Yeah. Um, so, you also get little instructions, but the instructions, because you are more than likely quite skilled at embroidery, it's just a starting point. It's basically, here are the lines on the fabric, you know, color-coded. You go right ahead and do whatever floats your boat. Yeah. Um, because they do stitches I don't even know what they're called. <laughs> um, and then there's also... Because I always wanted to be part of a club when I was, I was really dorky when I was little. Um, I, you know, there's stickers or um, like my favorite tea or we did extra iron-ons last month. It's just a little extra something to make you excited to open that envelope. So as a, as a business owner, it made sense because it increased revenue from my top customers already yeah and it's a commitment right you say it i is. mean you join so, so monthly yep so it is a subscription service that runs on my shopify site and so it keeps track of everybody and it pings them one day of the month a little bit before the order um so it it is just a recurring charge they can choose at any time to quit and then come back if they want um so for me it's it steadies out the income throughout the year because after Christmas, you know, those first few months are pretty yeah. dry um, yeah. for wholesale and retail. So this is really going to even it out for me. Um, it, the, the biggest challenge, honestly, has been dealing with fear of not failure, but fear of disappointment. Disappointment the and they won't. I see that you have one that's a pineapple. Oh, I'm not into pineapples. I don't want this. Or disappointment that they won't yeah. get it on time. Or disappointment. What do you mean? Disappointment that they'll open it up and be like, oh, I don't, I didn't want to do flowers. I'm yeah, gonna- but anybody who joins a, of an of the month club knows that they're, 
I mean, there's been quilted like squares of the month club since the dawn of time. (laughs) And they didn't know if they were going to get geese and bonnets or like a log cabin thing, but they're just like, it's in the mail and it's fun. And now we have the added aspect of community because of the interwebs, which changes, that changes everything because they can show everyone. And then, and then more people want to be a part of that community. Yeah, it has exploded so much more than I anticipated. Um, and then my husband anticipated. <laughs> How is it making those monthly deadlines like shipping? Are you in, are you in a panic on the like twenty eighth of every month or whenever? Yeah, yeah. Um, we spent yeah we spent the day before Halloween <laughs> downstairs for several hours because we had we have just added an international section to it. And theirs is set up differently, and we hadn't quite figured that all out. <laughs> sure. Um, so we were only on, like, the third <laughs> month, so it's going to take a bit. So you're not guaranteeing people are getting it at the beginning of the month. You just say they're at some point in time during the month. So it ships on the 1st. Okay, got it. If not the 31st. So, yeah, there's no, like, you absolutely get it Okay, so because I was having anxiety for oh, you. No. <laughs> that would be even worse. Right. That's no. super f- so, so you seem like you've got your craft portion of your business, you know, under control. What are you most excited about these days as far as the art part of your business goes? So right now, the artwork is not bringing in money. This year, I took it off and um, I really wanted to work on something I have never been able to do due to my medium and that is have a full gallery show Mm. Um, in college you know you get uh, joint shows or your senior show Um, I've done my share of cafes and such but unlike my husband I've not been able to have a nice gallery have only my work in it and it is the crux of the problem is that I do ink and I do um, pencil and drawing is always seen as a step if not several steps Mm -hmm. below painting Mm -hmm. you're not supposed to stop there Um, I was one of the few in my class who got a degree in drawing man there are many shades of elitism in this whole art and craft thing yeah they break you in art school Um, they really do most of us need therapy afterwards Um, or it's you're broken so down deep I've only just started to find (laughs) you're just starting to remember (laughs) yeah no it's really um, it is I seem so counterintuitive to how you would think like oh you get to be so free and out there and expressing yourself but it sounds very regimented grad school they will honestly emotionally break you and hopefully they have enough time to build you back up most marriages don't survive yeah, uh, we saw a lot. And what's like, the purpose in that? Are they trying to find your like greatest art because it comes out of the depths of despair? <laughs> I mean, I mean that's. I, not, I mean, I'm sort yeah. of kidding, but I'm sort no. of not. I used to have a theater teacher, you know, who it was the weirdest thing. Even in high school, I had him in high school, and then in college, he moved over. He would have us do these 
monologues, but they had to be based on our deepest, darkest secrets. And now I look back and think there's something really wrong about the fact that yeah. he was having like teenagers <laughs> talk about, you know, sexual abuse yes. and all this stuff. But what I think that he was trying to do was trying to find or else it was gross. I don't know. But possibly he was trying to get us to the place where we were feeling our like deepest emotions so that we could tap into them later. And I'm wondering if there's not sort of like a parallel philosophy happening in art school. I think part of it is the amount of work that you're forced to do in a short period of time is enormous. Um, you're, you know, you need so many shows in a year and so a large body of work and also your thesis paper. Um, I also think it is something my husband and I have odd conversations, but um, nowadays we are not given the time to figure out who we are. Mm. And I think the art school really just keeps pushing at you. Why did you make it? What does it mean? Why are you drawn to this? And I think a lot of us, in, in terms of the relationships that were broken, I think a lot of us form relationships with people and we don't know ourselves yet. And so as you dig down and you realize more and more stuff about you, you realize that you're not the same. And so I think the other person sees it as well. And um, it's just harder to stay together when you've decided that this is who you actually are, not the other person that you first met. Um, a lot of it, though, honestly, is just stress. Yeah. Um, art school is hard because they they set you up to fail, sadly. Um, you're not allowed to sell it. You shouldn't want to sell your work, which goes against all of the history of art, which was commission work either from the church or from nobles. Um, I was selling prints in college and I was shunned by the printmaking part because I was doing digital prints, mm. not pulled prints. And it was seen, they just kept saying like, you're never going to make money at it. And I'm like, well, I'm selling mine and you're not selling yours. Right. So I think I'm, I'm okay. Yeah. Uh, fascinating. Yeah. So it, <laughs> They don't teach you anything about running a business or selling your work. To sell your work is seen as selling out. But obviously, you need to sell your work to eat. So Yeah, it's like David Cross says. He said, I can't pay the mortgage with indie street cred. You know? It's like, it's. I mean, yeah. that's that's a lovely dream to have. I mean, that's a, yeah. that's a, it's adorable that you think that you can just go out and do art. And then, I don't know, you'll eat the satisfaction of knowing that you're doing your art. I mean, what does that even mean? What does that look like? It's really about balance. This whole life is about balance. Yeah. So I've had trouble trying to get um, mentally over the fact that the, what I got my degree in, which is drawing is seen as a step to a finished piece, not the finished piece. Mm -hmm. So a lot of galleries don't want to show drawings because they're not worth as much as paintings. So the gallery isn't going to make as much money from it. Uh, I love portraiture and portraiture doesn't sell. It sells in photos like nobody's business, but other people don't want to have paintings of other people in their house, which is odd because that would be all my house would contain. Right. Given the choice. And we've all bought a vintage portrait at one time or another. Yes. 
Well, I maybe, maybe we all haven't, but but, but <laughs> anybody who's ever like been to a flea market or thrifted yeah. or whatever, I mean, there's whole like there's whole series, there's whole artists, especially if you go back to sort of like the kitschier times, you know, like the Big Eyes or yeah. yep. uh, Terchkoff. Did I get that name right? I have one yeah. in my room and I'm like spacing um, or, you know, whatever. But like, I love, I love the faces. So it's mm-hmm. so interesting. I think it's just people don't want people who are still alive because it yes. seems, because then it seems weird. <laughs> yeah. So right now, so I took the year off with my art to let it, um, to let me figure out what I wanted to make. And so what I am making is, um, unfortunately, terribly hard to photograph because it involves gold ink. So we're working on that. Yeah, it's pretty though. Um, So it's the largest scale I've done yet. It's about 22 by 30 portraits. Um, And they are, um, I, so I only have vision in one eye, so I don't have depth perception. So this series really plays with that and everything is a flat pattern. So it's a wallpaper, intricate, uh, intricately designed that's a flat pattern with the clothing that's got a wallpaper design on it as a flat pattern Wow! and then it's only the backs of people's heads so it's all the hair as that forms another flat pattern so it's kind of the play of space um, and also you don't want you don't want somebody's face in your house we'll take this I love <laughs> exactly. it I we'll love it the back of the head yeah um, so at the moment the the running idea for it because I haven't come up with an actual artist statement yet is they are wallpaper models because how would you model wallpaper you would do the back of your head (laughs) plus there's so many like i mean this i'm stealing from your art and taking it back to the other side of the to the dark side now but there's so many (laughs) merchandising options then you can have like then you can have wallpaper that goes with it or just wrapping paper or greeting cards or fabric if we have the option and i eat the money the way that I would like to show it is actually with um, on Spoonflower, you can print wallpaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was thinking that, yes. A, yep, like a streak of wallpaper behind each one that matches the wallpaper. Yeah, it's just a costume. Oh, that would be but amazing. No, I, but you know what? Yeah. Oh. I bet you, I um, I actually interviewed the CEO, uh, CEO of um, Spoonflower for this podcast as well. And he seemed really in tune with the artist community. You, I mean, you should reach out to them. Maybe they would. Yeah sponsor it or collaborate or whatever i think it, i mean i don't think i think it could be Goodness it knows could happen given for them sure. enough money with my business <laughs> yeah exactly and and i mean you've made a name for yourself so why not and even if it is in a different business than what this is why not collaborate and and make that happen for yourself i cannot yeah. wait to see the series that sounds so <laughs> exciting and we're actually working so um, my husband is he's really good at design and so we are looking next year to add a fabric line to studio me um, because i found that so many of my customers also like to make clothes and to quilt two things i can't do right so um we're gonna look at turning some of the embroidery designs into kind of like a fabric that you could make anything out of well, Megan, it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for letting us have just sort of a bird's eye view into your life and your art and your craft and your business. It's been a pleasure. Oh, thank you. For more information on Megan, check out her websites. 
to see photos of some of her artwork and products, and to enter to win one of two Studio Me embroidery kits, go to her episode show notes page at vickihowell.com craftish. To enter, you just need to go to the comment section and post a comment about what your thoughts on the difference between art and craft is. I really am interested in hearing your answers, but if that feels a little too philosophical for you, uh, you can also just tell us which of the two kits. You'll see the pictures on the show notes page as well that you'd prefer. We will choose those winners by 10 p.m. Central on Wednesday, November 9th. Thanks again to our sponsor, Makers Mercantile, who would like to give Craftish listeners free shipping site-wide. So if you need craft supplies for your holiday gifting, now is the time to shop. And also, I don't know if any of you watched my Ask Me Monday video this week, but I was showing their tool, the Addy Quick Turbo Needle Filter. There's already a great deal going on for that particular tool right now at Makers Mercantile, but if you do that on top of this free shipping, then it's winning all around. So get thee to makersmercantile.com and choose code VickiMakes, that's V-I-C-K-I-E-M-A-K-E-S at checkout. This offer is good through November 9th and is valid for the U.S. only. Craftish is a Camp Bell production. It's produced in Austin, Texas by me and mixed and edited by Dave Campbell. Music is provided by Explosions in the Sky. If you liked this episode, please share it with your friend or rate us on iTunes. Your word of mouth means that people can find this podcast, which means we can keep making them. We really appreciate it. Tune into the next episode of Craftish with author and journalist Nora Zelovansky. That show will go live on Thursday. Until then, especially as we can start to make it kick off holiday season, take a moment and make some art and craft and maybe, maybe give it to someone. Breathe in craft out. Bye.